everyone. Welcome back to Bad on Paper podcast. I'm Grace Atwood. And I'm Becca Freeman. And today is book club. We read a book from one of our favorite authors, Maddie Dawson. If you haven't read Matchmaking for Beginners, it's one of the best books that either one of us have ever read. And this month we read her newest, which is called The Magic of Found Objects. I'm really excited to talk about this one. It is kind of a romance, kind of a family drama, and it's a plot line that I don't think I've ever read before. So it felt totally different. So I thought that this trope was really common and we can talk about it as we get into the discussion, but I couldn't think of any other books that went this way. Yeah, me either. Before we get into the book though, should we talk about some highs and lows? Yeah. Um, what's your high? My high is that I just got back from my girl's trip in Palm Beach every year. Well, not last year because of the pandemic, but almost every year I go on a trip to one of my favorite hotels, the Breakers in Palm Beach, with some of my girlfriends from college and was nothing short of amazing. It was also, you know, I was just on vacation, so it wasn't like I needed the extra unplug time, but it was just so good to see these friends that they all live in Boston. You know, I've seen them once or twice over the past two years, but I just haven't got as much time with them as usual with COVID travel restrictions. So it was just so good to spend quality time with them and in one of my favorite places. That's so nice. I really want to go there at some point. It looks so pretty. Oh, do you know who I ran into there? Who? Ashley Brooke. Oh my gosh. I love Ashley. How's she doing? She's good. I just ran into her super quickly there and we didn't really get to catch up, but it was such a odd thing to see somebody there and it was like out of context and it was like, wait, what? But because she doesn't live in that part of Florida and I don't live in Florida at all. So it was, it was really bizarre, but um, yeah, it was lovely. So I'm feeling, I don't know. I'm feeling very happy. I'm feeling disappointed that I have to wait a whole nother year until um, our next trip, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah. What about you? What's your high? I mean, hopefully my high is that my 40th birthday party went off without a hitch. I've put so much work into this, so I want it to be perfect. Um, It's this Saturday, so it's we're recording and it's what day is today? Today is Wednesday. Mm -hmm. And so it's a week for so this episode drops in a week. But yeah, my party is on Saturday night and I'm so excited for it. You're coming. A few other friends are coming from out of town. My family is all coming. There's 33 people coming in total, and I'm really, really excited. I will say that I'm having some um, outfit debacles for this. It's a theme party. It's Roaring Twenties themed. And I ordered two dresses, and I thought for sure one of them would be it, and one of them is too short, which is a common problem. I'm 5'10", so that that happens. And another one, I actually kind of liked it, but then I sent a picture of it to Jackie, and she was like, it's toddlers and tears gone wrong. So I ordered a bunch more dresses on Monday night and I did expedited shipping. So I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to wear. But if worst comes to worst, I did order a bunch of headpieces on Amazon Prime. So I feel like I could just wear a black dress and fun shoes and a headpiece if it comes to that. Yeah. I feel like the looks are going to be like all over the place. Like there's my sister who's wearing a black dress and a headband. Um, My sister hates theme parties. So she's like, I will do the bare minimum, which I'm like, that's fine. Don't worry. Or there's like Blair Eady who's like, I'm going all out. Is that cool? I'm like, yes, please. Like, I can't wait to see what you wear. Oh yeah. I truly can't wait to see what Blair wears. 
Yeah. So it's kind of a little all over the place. I think that the majority of the people are going to get really into it. Like, I feel like I have like fun, crazy friends and everyone loves a theme. I was trying. I really thought that one of these dresses would be it. And I ordered probably five more. So maybe something I ordered will be it. But um, so far, I'm striking out. Did you order anything on Amazon? No. They actually have great flapper dresses. I ended up returning mine because I found this beaded dress on Etsy that I liked more. They had some great options and they they all ship like pretty quickly too. Just size up like they because they run tight. Well, I think it's too late at this point. So I think I. Oh, yeah, it is too late. I think Sorry. I have what I got in the mail. What, okay. what is currently in the mail. It hasn't arrived to me yet. I did get a good one from ASOS today. It was too small. I ordered it in two sizes and the smaller size came today. So I'm hoping when the larger size comes, which I think is tomorrow, that might be yeah. an option. We'll see. Oh. I'm excited. But I feel like I have backups. Yeah. And if not, I'll just sit next to Becca, your sister Becca meeting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think you guys are seated next to each other. Are we really? <laughs> I think so. I can't remember. I did the seating chart yesterday. That's okay. This is like a wedding. <laughs> That's so fun. Who's on the other side of me? I can't remember. Oh. I think maybe John, maybe one of my parents. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, what about on the low side? I wrote a post about this yesterday. It kind of goes in a little bit hand in hand with our conversation with Anne last week, but I have just felt like an overall lack of stamina. You know, I feel like I've got a shorter fuse. My temper hasn't been great. I snap at things that wouldn't usually bother me. I'm really sleepy. <laughs> like when before we were recording, Becca's like, what are you doing? Can we record earlier? And I was like, yeah, I'm like laying on the couch looking at the ceiling. But mostly what is really upsetting is my yoga practice. I've tried, I've been trying to get back into it. First of all, it took a while to find a yoga studio. Secondly, all of the yoga studios here are hot, which I don't really love. Um, oh my God. My cat is on the table sticking his tail in my face. Like he loves equipment. He loves equipment. Like he loves the camera when I have a photographer over. Okay. Sorry. But back to my, back to my low, I took this yoga class on Monday and I was going to take it again today, but I was too tired. I might try and take it after I shoot today, if I feel better, Becca, I like had to go into child's pose several times. I was so sweaty that I was like slipping. I was just like mortified. I, I ran out of the class when I left. I just felt so shitty. I was so tired for the whole day afterwards. I felt it was just embarrassing. And I think another thing that sucks is just feeling like you worked so hard at something and then all of that work, all of that effort that you put into that thing, like going on retreats. I used to take class like every day when I lived in Brooklyn because I had a studio I loved. It was like a second family there. And it's like, I can't, I don't know. It's just so upsetting that like how bad I am at it now. Like I wrote this in the blog post, but being a beginner at, again at something you used to be really good at is hard. Like being a beginner, I think is really hard with anything, but then when it's something you had already gotten good at and you're like starting all over again, it fucking sucks. Yeah, it so that does suck. I, I can't say that I've been back to a workout class since restrictions have lifted in New York. I, you know, because I bought the Soul Cycle bike, I've just been working out at home. Um, but I yeah. do not think I would fare well if I went to a workout class of any kind, even if I went to a Soul Cycle class having the bike at home. I think the workouts that I do at home are just less strenuous. So yeah. I, you know, I, I feel like I would feel the same way in that circumstance. And it does suck to be a beginner at something that you used to be good at. Like it is frustrating. Yeah. 
And I think we talked about this when we were like gushing about Melissa Wood because she really did get me through the pandemic. And like I exercised most days because of her. But I think that it was you and I that were talking. We were like, what's it going to be like to go back to a gym and take an hour long class? Like after doing 20 minute workouts for a year and a half, (laughs) it's fucking hard. Yeah, I think that's. And I feel whiny. I know that it doesn't feel great, but I think that that's normal and maybe the people in the class already got over the hump of that but I I have to imagine that all of us are kind of in that boat I also think in Charleston lockdown was a little different that's true like people weren't really taking it quite as seriously that's true but um you know I'm trying to stay positive I don't want to whine about this because it's such a like a first world problem but my goal is to take this class like twice a week and work back up to it There's other things that are just making me feel bad, like going hiking with Jeff. Like he's in such good shape and I'm like just lagging behind, like out of breath. So I guess it's just you have to it's it's going to take time and patience and like being gentler with ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. What is yours? Oh, no, I just looked at yours. It's okay. So as I was saying, uh, two weeks ago, we had our first pitch for turning showmance the most recent rom-com pod into a tv show and the pitch went really really well you know i've never done a tv pitch before this was like a new experience that first of all we weren't even sure exactly what the content should be and also you know like what business do we have being there in some ways so i I thought the pitch went really really well i felt really solid about the job that we did and about the reception, and I, it was really well received. They passed on it, which is my low. Oh. So I'm proud of us. The pass was like a very kind pass. It sounds like they have something else that they're developing that's too similar, which okay. is something we've heard from other people who've passed without us pitching before. So it's not bad. You know, who knows how much of it was blowing smoke, but they said that they were really impressed by it. And, you know, it really did feel like we did a good job. So in that way, I feel like we got the first one out of the way. It's still a bummer to get a no. I'm trying to stay optimistic. I am generally optimistic, even after hearing that first no. Like, if I think about it in the context of if somebody told, if if a friend, or I don't know, like, if I was listening to an interview with myself and the story I was telling that the very first person we pitched having no prior experience or background in this, they said, yes, like that would seem like a wild stroke of luck and, and like right time, right place. It wouldn't feel like, oh my gosh, you worked so hard for that. You deserved it. So, you know, I like it's, I feel like it's realistic to expect a little adversity and to not expect the first one to just out of the gate be like, yes, yeah. So but hearing no still sucks. And your feelings like hearing it, no still it's sucks. never gonna feel it never feels good to get an answer that you don't want. So Yes, exactly. So, you know, onward forward, this is the first pitch that we've had. Hopefully there'll be more. Things have been a little slow in terms of people getting back to us with interest just because of I feel like a lot of people were out of the office in August and then, you know, Labor Day was late this year and then Yom Kippur was last week. So, you know, I feel like things are a little slow, but hopefully, hopefully we line a couple more pitches up because the the disappointing part is that we don't have any more irons in the fire right now mm. that are, you know, like we have emails out, I guess, but, you know, we don't have any other pitches lined up. So, yeah, 
I think it would just be such a good TV show. And the more we've brainstormed on it and talked about it, like I just feel so certain about it. So it's just about finding the right people. But a no still sucks. You'll find the right people. I we think, will. I think you're right. It's going to be such a good show. It's just – and you know, you're totally right. Like I'm such a like a supporter and a fan and you're my friend. So I'm like, well, of course they would take it. But knowing that it is your first time, like I think a no, that's probably realistic and normal. Yeah. So hopefully the next one. Yes. So before we get into this book, let's take a quick ad break to talk about BetterHelp. As life gets back to normal, we've just seen so many people that we know contemplate making big life changes or experiencing newfound social anxiety or just struggling with how we're supposed to get back to normal. Just like you just said about, you know, your, your struggle with being a beginner and like also struggling with your general depletion and uh, lack of stamina. So you've been hearing us talk about BetterHelp for the past few months, and maybe you're wondering, is BetterHelp right for me? First of all, we think BetterHelp is an awesome service for pretty much everyone. But specifically, if you're looking to pinpoint or address anything that interferes with your happiness or prevents you from achieving your goals, BetterHelp has licensed professional counselors who may be able to help. Yes. So they make it really, really easy too. So what happens is you go online and you're going to fill out a simple online questionnaire. And this questionnaire is meant to assess your needs. They're going to ask you your age, relationship status, your past experiences with therapy, and what you're looking to address. From there, they're going to match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and they do this all in under 24 hours. Then you'll get to choose how you want to interact with your therapist, whether that is messaging them anytime, um, no scheduling needed, which is pretty cool, or having phone or video sessions with them. It's really about whatever works best for you. And something that we really love is that they have counselors who are specialized in all sorts of specific issues. So you're not just getting the one-size-fits-all treatment. They have people who are specialized in things like stress, anxiety, relationships, parenting, addictions, eating, sleeping, trauma, family conflict, LGBT matters, self-esteem, and more. That's not even the full list. All told, they have over 20,000 licensed professional therapists. And what's great is that they're committed to facilitating great matches. So if your first therapist isn't a fit, they make it free and easy to switch if you need to. And anything you share is always confidential. And best of all, it's more affordable than traditional online counseling. And if you need it, financial aid is available. So we want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash badonpaper. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash badonpaper. Let's get into this book. Yes. So as always, we have a plot summary for you to tell you about this book if you read it a little while ago and maybe forgot or if you're listening and you haven't read the book, which we hear a lot of people do. Yes. So Franzi and her twin brother Hendrix were conceived at Woodstock after their father Robert, a farmer's son from New Hampshire, met their mother Tanaj at the music festival and they fell in love at first sight. After the festival, Robert didn't go home to the farm or his girlfriend. Instead, he just stayed in Woodstock. So in present day, which for this book is in 2006, Franzi is in her mid-30s and lives in New York City. And after a short-lived, disastrous marriage, she's mostly been single. So her and her best friend Judd have been aggressively internet dating, trying to find true love. One night after they've both had a bad date, Judd proposes that they get married to each other instead. 
They both want children, have had no luck dating in New York City, and while they're not in love, he could see them having a long-term relationship built on mutual respect and friendship. So at first, Franzi thinks this idea is ridiculous. But on further reflection, she realizes that he already knows and accepts everything about her, and so many of their married friends are really unhappy. Plus, she's miserable dating. So eventually, she agrees. So her stepmother, Maggie, is absolutely thrilled by the marriage news. Franzie and Judd grew up together, and her family loves him. In the present day, Franzi has a close relationship with her stepmother, but that wasn't always the case. So Maggie was Robert's girlfriend before he went to Woodstock. When the twins were two, Robert's dad died, and he had to come back to New Hampshire to run the family farm, and he brought Tanaj back with him. The townspeople did not accept her because they still sided with Maggie, and eventually Tanaj left, and Robert and Maggie got married. Maggie was the exact opposite of Franzi's fun-loving, free-spirited mother. She was a stickler for rules, she loves cleanliness, and she went so far to insist that Franzi and Hendrix should change their names to Francis and Henry to better fit in and sound normal. So after they're officially engaged, things with Judd aren't quite as ideal as Franzi imagined. She's resentful that Judd's not actually in love with her. She wants a true partner while he wants his life and their relationship to stay basically the same as when they were friends. There's also the issue of sex and physical chemistry. It's okay, but it's awkward. There are no fireworks. Meanwhile, at her job as a book publicist, Franzi is dealing with a book tour for a beloved elderly children's author that has written a racially insensitive Thanksgiving children's book. So Franzi is overseeing her book tour, which starts in Charleston in the days leading up to Thanksgiving. And she's also saddled with Adam, the new guy on the team, who she finds weird and annoying. As children, Franzi and Hendrix spent summers with their mother in Woodstock, where she's still living the hippie life. One summer, Hendrix gets hurt in a swimming accident at their mom's. Their dad and Maggie show up to come get them, and they aren't allowed to go back. Franzi doesn't talk to her mom until she gets her first period at age 13. She finds her mom's phone number and calls to tell her. After that, Franzi starts calling her mom from a payphone in town. She becomes a confident and advisor. However, in the present, we know that they're estranged. We don't know much, but we know that they speak infrequently, but Tanaj is insistently calling Franzi, telling her that the universe is giving her messages that Franzi is about to make a very big mistake. So Franzi heads off to Charleston for the book tour, and it's even more disastrous than she feared. Angry protesters show up at the event, and things are getting heated. And Adam ends up stepping in to keep the protesters from physically assaulting their elderly author. So after the event, Franzi and Adam go to a bar to commiserate over their terrible evening. And as they get tipsy, they get to know each other, and she's surprised that there's a strong romantic spark between them. And at the end of the night, they kiss, but she stops herself from going any further because of Judd. So the next day, Charleston is hit with a freak snowstorm and the power is out and they can't go anywhere. So instead, her and Adam have this magical day, which is basically a timeout from real life. But at the end of the day, Franzi totally freaks out and it's exacerbated when Adam tells her that he has feelings for her and could easily fall in love with her. Meanwhile, back in the past, Franzi has a blow up with her dad when she announces that she wants to go to NYU. He forbids it, but she applies anyway. When her acceptance packet comes in the he's absolutely furious with her. She decides to run away to their mother. When she gets to Woodstock, she's shocked to find that her mom has moved and never told her. She finds out from her cab driver that her mom has opened a gallery in town and also 
has a two-year-old daughter. So when Franzi shows up at the gallery, their reunion is nothing like she had expected, and Tanaj tells her she can't let her stay with her. She has a relationship and a new child, and she implies that these are now her priorities. Franzi's absolutely crushed. Maggie ends up being her unexpected savior and shows up to pick her up. And she is surprisingly very cool about the whole thing. She's also gone ahead and brokered a peace deal with her dad. So Franzi will be allowed to go to NYU if she goes to two years of community college near home first. So after Charleston, Franzi can't deal with working with Adam. She secretly arranges to have him transferred to another imprint in another building at the same publishing company. And even with Adam out of the picture, she's still conflicted about marrying Judd. He's way more excited about it than she is. So is Maggie, who's just so into wedding planning. But when she finally tells Tanaj about her plan to marry Judd, Tanaj is less supportive. So in February, Maggie comes to New York City to go wedding dress shopping. And while they're on their outing, they run into Tanaj. Shockingly, Maggie and Tanaj bond and talking about their respective pasts with Franzi's dad is really cathartic for them. Finally, the big day is here. It's Judd and Franzi's wedding day. And in the morning of, Franzi is absolutely freaking out. So after all this back and forth, she decides that she cannot marry Judd. After she realizes, she sees out the window that Adam is at the wedding. He is the date of Franzi's elderly author. So in that moment, she knows that she should be with him and she just needs to tell Judd. When she tells Judd, he's understanding and not totally surprised. And they realize that their plan was stupid all along. They also realize that their friendship got lost when they got engaged. They both realize that they deserve a better chance at a bigger, all-consuming love. So that's our summary. Okay, so should we talk about this book? Yes, let's get into it. So you have to tell the craziest story first, which is partially why we picked this book. So this is really funny. So my grandfather, his second wife, her name was Jane, and my family all knew her as Jane, like when she was in our lives. I never met her. She she knew me when I was like a baby, but um, by the time I was like a toddler, they were divorced. But she reached out to me, like in her later years, she found my blog, and she had actually changed her name from Jane to Inaj, which is so funny because in this book. We didn't say it in the plot summary, but Tanaj is Janet. So (laughs) I was just like, this is wild. I've never heard of anyone doing that or anything of that nature. So it hit close to home in a funny way. That's so funny. I wonder if that was a thing in like the 70s or 80s, like, or even the 60s, like changing your name and spelling it differently. Yeah, because that was the time frame for it. Like it was, you know, 81, I want to say she was like working at the restaurant with my grandfather. And then, yeah, they, they were divorced by the time I was like a little kid. So I don't I don't have any memories with her. But yeah, that's so wild. I like, yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe it was a thing then. I'm trying to think of other names that it would work with. Like my name backwards would just be like. Asib, which I guess is the right, actually makes sense and the consonants are in the right order. Who would you be? Mine would be Eckerg. Yeah, Eckerg doesn't really work. I know. And Naj sounds cool though, as does Tanaj. I know, they both do. Yeah. Now I'm trying to think of all my friends' names backwards to see if anyone else's works. (laughs) Like Alex doesn't work. No, Alex definitely doesn't work. But Allie, I have a friend who's Allie, A-L-I, and then that would be... Ela, like that Ela. works. 
But then I was just with my friend Molly and that definitely doesn't work. Yeah. So weird. So, you know, that that was actually the partial reason we chose this book because you were like, can you believe this? But I did, I did love the book, but I want to talk about the overall premise of opting out of dating, marrying your best friend that you know you're not in love with. Did you find, I, I guess, did you find the book and the premise relatable? No, but I'll tell you, like, I, I like, I'm a loner. Like, unless I'm in love with someone or like, and having like regular sex with that person, I don't really like need company. Um, that probably sounds bad, but I would never feel like be someone who needs to be in this like friend marriage. I also don't want children. So yeah, I, that was the only time I felt that it could be relatable is somebody who desperately wanted kids and was like, you know what? Fuck it. Like we'll both be great parents. Like, let's just go for it and like raise a child together. But I just think like love and like sexual chemistry are so important that I wouldn't, I don't know. I just, I, I couldn't give those things up knowing that it exists. So I agree with you that I would not go in for this sort of arrangement, but again, I think it has to do with not wanting kids because I think so too, you know, in their, in their situation, they both really wanted children and she was 36 and it made some kind of sense that he would be a good father and that maybe you would be willing to compromise crazy romantic love to have motherhood and stable partnership. And it's interesting. Like it reminds me of one of my favorite movies is Friends with Kids. Have you ever seen that? I feel like you've told me to see it and either I put it on my list or it's a Jennifer Westfeld movie and it's it's Jennifer Westfeld and Adam Scott and John Hamm and Maya Rudolph and uh, the Irish guy from from Bridesmaids and uh, Ed Ed Burns. It's a great cast, but the premise is sort of this. The premise is that two characters decide to have a baby together. They're not they're not trying to be in love. They're like, this is great. We're basically just going to have a split custody arrangement. Like we're going to still date other people and we're going to have a baby together. But then they end up falling in love with each other. And that's the complication. But yeah, so that makes sense. That makes more sense to me. Like I could have seen it. I mean, this made for a great book plot, like such a good rom-com, but I just think it would have been more realistic if they had done something like that. Like we're going to have a baby together, but we'll still see other people and still date. Well, something about the way that it was phrased in the book did resonate with me. Like just the, how worn down dating in New York City or really in any city makes you feel Yeah, like you've gone on 44 dates in the past year and they've all sucked and it's all different varieties of sucks. Maybe some people you like didn't like you back. Maybe some people didn't look like their photos. Maybe some people had awful personalities. Oh, yeah. There's something about being on that kind of dating binge that I could totally see just being like, this is hopeless. Get me out of this. I I never want to have to do this again. I agree. And I have been there because I feel like there have been years where I've gone on probably more than 44 dates. Like there were years where I'd go on like two dates a week. So 
I get it. I just like for me, the sex scenes were so cringy in this book. Like after the first time they had sex, I would be like, we can't do this. Like, or, or maybe give I it a second chance. I think that the sex but, was that cringy. I thought their first kiss was really cringy oh. when, you know, they, they kind of, I don't know, like, I, I think they kind of like missed faces at first and, you know, it wasn't quite like a direct hit and it wasn't great. The sex thing, I don't know. I think that sex with anyone for the first time can be a little awkward. So I thought that it felt like it was on par for first time sex. Like it wasn't mind blowing, but it wasn't awful. So I would say after the second time they had sex, I found like anything physical between them was so cringy and I felt really uncomfortable and I just felt like really bad for her. And I was like, don't do it, Franzi. Like you can have better. I don't know. Now that I'm thinking about it, I don't know if they had sex in the book a second time. I'm sure they did because they got engaged in October, November. And then the wedding was, I think, in June, maybe. So I think there was... Uh, there was a lot of parts that were collapsed after Thanksgiving and before yes. the wedding. So I'm sure they had sex again, but I think we I think we maybe only witnessed the first time. Yeah, I guess I'm just saying in theory after the sex cuz she alluded that it was still bad and that it was like just disappointing. I don't know. It just uh, anything physical between them, I felt like my my I was like like dying inside for her. I felt like it was more I really felt for her with her expectations being misaligned where she was like, yeah, I'm going to marry this guy. And then he kind of wanted everything to be the same. And she was like, well, don't you want to come over and have dinner? Don't you want to spend quality time together? And he just wanted to be done with dating and to have his life the way it was. And then, you know, to sometimes have sex and to be able to have kids together. And I felt more for her in that way where it was like, Oh, like this makes sense on paper, but this doesn't make sense in real life. Yeah, I agree there. I felt like when they got this like fake engagement or real engagement, whatever we're going to call it, suddenly her whole expectation of their relationship shifted. Whereas it also felt like such a huge part of their relationship in the past had been about dating and talking about it and commiserating together. And so suddenly it's like, she wants him to come over for dinner. They're having bad sex. They are they don't have this like dating stuff to complain about. So like, what are they going to talk about? And it just felt like it felt like it was like it really affected their friendship, which they, we talked about in the plot summary. Like they both kind of realized that they had ruined their friendship in a way from doing this. I thought Maddie Dawson did such a good job with Judd as a character and making him likable enough that you could accept that she was going to marry him not for love, but then making him unlikable enough in non-deal breaker ways. Like he was really aloof and he was a little cheesy with his fake boxing thing and he was kind of emotionally unavailable. But none of these things were deal breakers. Like I thought she did such a good job with Judd because it's hard because eventually she's going to leave Judd. So you can't like him too much or you're mad at her instead of. Yeah. And she becomes the bad guy. So I thought it was really well done. And I thought also the portrayal of their misaligned expectations was really well done. Yes. Because I really felt like I stayed on Franzi's side through through the entire book. And 
in reality, she was not a saint. She was not behaving excellently at points. No. In terms of like she she kissed somebody else while she was with Judd. She did the shitty thing to Adam and got him transferred. Like she was not perfect, but I stayed on her side. And I feel like that's a testament to the character development, especially with Judd, that I could like stomach her getting married to him, but I could also stomach her being a little shitty to him. Yeah, I agree. These are things I don't think about that I, it's interesting because, and you didn't think about this like a year ago, I feel like. I didn't. But now that you're doing all of this writing, it's like you've got this, you you, you kind of analyze these books so much more differently. And I like it because it opens my eyes too. Yeah. So, um, before we started writing the first rom-com pod, we uh, were talking to Rachel's friend, Lisa, who does some screenwriting in TV or movies, and she recommended this book for us. And she was like, just FYI, it will ruin every movie for you. Does that save the cat? Yeah. Yeah. And at the time, I didn't think that. And I read it a couple times, but the more I go through this process and like start thinking in stories this way, you could see how how most stories are really, really predictable in both books and movies because the formula works the same way. And you can tell exactly like where you are in the story because they have like these set kind of like a bell curve of how a story works. I will never read that book. It would ruin my life. It hasn't. Because I'm like always really surprised by these books and movies. Like I know what it, I kind of have a general idea of what the arc should be, but I still it's still like, I don't know. It hasn't ruined it for me. But the funny thing is also that, you know, for all the books and movies that I've read and watched in my time, I didn't pick up on this necessarily before having it spelled out for me. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, the other thing is I don't read a lot of mysteries where I feel like there's a lot more twists and turns versus, you know, with any romance, for the most part, with the exception of the idea of, you know, you're like, there's going to be a happily ever after. So it's all, you know where it's going. Like, it, even if they hate each other at the beginning, you're like, oh, they're going to love each other by the end. So, you know, the books I like are a little more formulaic anyway. Yeah. Speaking of formulas, I feel like this would be a pretty common trope, the like marrying your best friend because you're done with dating. But I don't think I can think of any other books like this. I can't either. I can think of fake relationship books where people pretend to be in a relationship with a friend and then fall for them for real. But I can't think of anything else where they basically are like, we're giving up on love and we're just going to marry each other. Yeah. I watched recently an older movie called The Mirror Has Two Faces with Barbara Streisand. It's cute. I will say it doesn't hold up. It's in the, it's from the 90s. It's so focused on looks and like Barbara Streisand is like this charming and brilliant professor but she's unattractive because she's like a little bit frumpy, which like the whole time I was like, "No, she's great. She looks great." And then she gets a makeover and becomes like more attractive. But in this movie, she's a professor at Columbia. There's this man who's a professor at Columbia and he's like always dating these like younger women or model types and they always leave him. So he decides that he wants to be in a, like a platonic marriage. But the problem is, is that he doesn't want to have sex with Barbara Streisand's character. And this like really erodes her and like eats away at her, which causes her to decide to get this makeover. But that was the the closest thing I could think of. Yeah, I'm wondering if any of our listeners have parallels. Come to the Facebook group and comment on the thread for this episode if you have other books that or movies that follow a similar storyline. Now, were you more into Franzi's current 
storyline or were you more into the past storyline of her family? I think, ooh, that's good because there were so many parts of her past storyline that I liked. I loved, we're jumping around in what we were going to talk about, but I loved her relationship, like the phone calls with Tanaj. Like I thought that those were really powerful. And then I also loved the development of her relationship with Maggie. But I think I was more invested in the current storyline. I don't know. What about you? I was definitely more invested in the current storyline, but I think that the past storyline gave her so much more depth to understand her neuroses and to understand why she was the way that she was about love and also to understand when this was going to come to a head that she was being torn between her two mothers, Maggie, who's very practical and rule-following and loved the idea of her marrying Judd because he was a stable figure and he was somebody she'd known her whole life and he wouldn't hurt her versus Tanaj, who was like, this is the worst thing that you could ever do because it's it's too safe and you should have big, crazy love. Yeah, it's, I think you needed both stories. Like to appreciate her current storyline, you needed to have the past in there too. Like it would really lack a lot of dimension if they had just included the present. You needed her storylines, but you also needed Maggie and Tanaj's storylines mm-hmm. to understand how these two different women informed her life and why they felt the way that they were. Like if she just had a crazy mother, I feel like it would be easier to just write her off as kooky and like don't take Tanaj's advice versus and you know to have a a stepmother. Well, in the present, Franzi had a much closer relationship with her stepmother than she had in the past. Either of these women could have been easily villainized if you didn't understand the hows and whys of how they got to where they were. That was something I really liked about Maddie Dawson's writing here in that neither woman were villainized and that they both had their flaws, but they also were extremely lovable. Yeah. I mean, I do think Tanaj was a little bit villainized. Like, it was a very cold-hearted thing to do when she did not make room for Franzi when Franzi ran away. Oh, that part was heartbreaking. Yeah, it did seem like she had a little bit more of a redemption in the current storyline where, you know, especially when she was talking to Maggie about about Franzi's dad and like it seemed like she kind of had time heals all wounds a little bit where like time had passed and it wasn't as fresh, but she was she was harder for me to side with, but I also felt like it was realistic and I I felt like all of the characters while a little bit stylized, you know, Maggie being that like neurotic school marmy rule follower and Tanaj being like this hippie dippy spiritual person. Like I did feel like they were realistic characters. It it sounds like Tanaj regretted turning Francie away, but it's like I could see how all of this could happen. Like nobody felt like they were making decisions or nobody felt like they were acting in a way that felt inconsistent with real life. And I include the father in that, too. Like, I think that the father was a character that was tough to like. Like, I I didn't really like him, but I understood who he was. And I, I think there's a certain type of man of that generation who, you know, is that, like, gruff, grumbly guy. Like, I understood who he was and that he's, like, doesn't like change. And he didn't want Franzi to go away to college because he felt this sense of duty to this family farm and, like... I got him even if I didn't like him. I felt like almost he was – his character was kind of a 
warning to Franzie that she could turn out like him if she were to go down that path and marry Judd, like to do this sense of duty and do the practical, normal type of thing and live like this more conventional life. I Absolutely. I also, I found him deeply unlikable, but also understandable. I just have to say, I cannot imagine a father discouraging their child from going to college. It wasn't that he was discouraging her from going to college. It's that he didn't want her to go away for college. And he said, you could get any kind of education you want right here. Like he, he wasn't unsupportive of her writing. I think he just didn't get it. Yeah, I just, it, that was really, that was hard for me. I was just like, let her go to college. I, uh, and the, like wanting her to like stay home, it felt like he wanted her to stay home and, and run the farm and then she could like do this other stuff in her free time. But I don't know, I guess I, I think I think a lot about my parents and I'm sure that they would have liked me to like stay on Cape Cod and attend the community college there and like run the restaurant. But like from an early age, I knew I definitely didn't want to run a restaurant just seeing everything that my own parents had to deal with. And I think Franzi saw the grueling hard work that her father had to do and what Maggie's life was like living in that small town and being on the farm and didn't want that. So was there any ever any talk of either of your sisters taking over the restaurant like earlier in their lives or did your parents like no. know that there was no heir to that business early on? I I think they just knew. I think if anyone was going to do it it would probably be me. Like I was always the one who was more interested in business where Meredith was super in, interested in like science and conservation and we knew she would do something kind of in the environmental space. And then Becca was the artist. Like we knew Becca was going to art school from like her fifth birthday when she was like painting full on landscape paintings. <laughs> and then maybe I was like the one that they had hoped for because I went to business school and stuff and they I could have like maybe done something with that and like, run the restaurant. But I mean, it is just, it's backbreaking work. Like you're on your feet all day. It, the phone never stops ringing for reservations. Like I think it's def this is so off topic, but it's just an industry that's glamorized and is actually so much work. Yeah. I also want to talk about Maggie. So yes, I, I loved Maggie's storyline and, and her relationship with Franzi because I feel like I related very hard to this where when you're a child, it's really hard to see your parents for who they are and to understand them where Maggie was unlikable because she wasn't fun. She wasn't like Tanaj who was fun and, and probably a little unsafe realistically. But, you know, as a child, you were like, this is great. Like I'm unsupervised yeah. and I'm treated like an adult. Whereas, you know, Maggie was probably in some ways a better parent to Franzi and Hendrix, even if she took it too far to the point of changing their names and like erasing some of their identity. Um, but then understanding as an adult the way Franzi related to her and was able to see, like I think after the Woodstock moment where it was like Maggie was trying her hardest and it was really hard because Franzi and Hendrix weren't her children biologically and she felt like she couldn't overstep in some ways and she didn't want to speak ill of their mother and you know there were all these kind of like constraints that I, you know to a child's brain like Franzi wasn't thinking about and I just I really felt for her and, and you know the evolution of their relationship really resonated with me and then also the part in in the current plot line 
where Maggie was so excited about this wedding because she would never have another child's wedding to plan. And like she was so into this. And it's like I could see how Franzi got caught up in in trying to please other people, both Judd and Maggie, instead of, you know, following her heart and like how difficult that would be. Yeah, I think, you know, my heart just really like broke for Maggie a lot of the time. I think that being a step parent has got to be so hard, especially like raising them from such a young age. You kind of have to raise them like they're your own. And also, like, I think Maggie probably would have been an amazing mom if she'd been able to have her own kids. But she was just so hung up on Robert and wanted to be with him. You know, loved his children like they were her own. I just thought that she was such a selfless character and, like, that she really loved Franzi like her, her like she was her own daughter. Well, I, I agree with you on everything you just said, but I also think Robert didn't make it easy for her to be a likable step-parent because, you know, in some ways she's not their parent. Like she has to respect that he doesn't want her to go to college. Mm-hmm. He can – or does want her to go to NYU specifically. He can, She can talk to him behind the scenes, but like it might be out of place to like disagree with him in front of the kids. Like I think he made it not easy because of how set in his ways he was. And also that he had such a contentious relationship with Tanaj that – it's almost like she's the bad guy and it creates sides. Like in the book, when they were little, little kids, they had like teams. Like, are you team Maggie or team Tanaj? And it's like, Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, like I think by Robert making his feelings so known, created those teams. I completely agree. I will just say one other thing about the Maggie character. I would think I was just like in an emotional state. I might've been PMSing when I read this. I like, I cried when... After that scene where Tanaj had told Franzi that she couldn't stay there and Maggie came and got her and brokered the whole situation with her going to NYU with the father, I just, I don't know, that like moment between them really, really hit me. made me so sad for both characters in different ways, but also happy too. What did you think of Adam? Overall, I liked Adam. I thought he was very sweet and he was a good character. I just found him to be so chipper and like a little bit too like to the point where he was like so kind of cheesy at times that I if it made him feel like less less real to me, if that makes any sense. Like he was just always happy, even when Franzi treated him terribly. So I have been thinking a lot about this the past couple of days as I re-listened to the book and also as I made the outline. And I think This is unusual for me. I really enjoyed this book. I don't think I'd want to be friends with Franzi. I think that she was a little eye-rolly to me too. So I liked them for each other. They felt well-matched in terms of how he was an optimist and a little bit of a weirdo and he wanted adventure and he he was kind of the Tanage side of Franzi. He definitely was. I also found Franzi really eye-rolly. Like, I thought she was cheesy. That's funny. I, I need to know why, because I thought Adam was cheesy. I thought she was cheesy, too. I mean, her her dog, Mr. Swanky, and just her internal monologue, like, she felt a little bit ditzy in a way that wasn't unbelievable, but was, I don't feel like, if she, I enjoyed reading about her, But if she were to pop into my life, I do not think I would want to be friends with her. 
That is so funny. I'm thinking about it now, too, and I probably wouldn't like her either. Like, she just seemed a little bit flighty, <laughs> and I don't know. I can't I can't put my finger on it, but there was something about it where it didn't make me dislike the book at all. And when I think about Adam, I don't want Adam for me the same way that I don't want to be friends with Franzi, but I felt like they were well-matched. And then the part about the betrayal, I think that this only worked because he, I, and I can't remember specifically, did he have this job through some kind of nepotism or something? Like, yes. He had, I think, like a, his father was somebody that was connected there. Yeah. Like, it felt like this was a job that he didn't really want or care about. Like, he was there to collect a paycheck because he, he wanted to be a surfer and he couldn't make any money doing that. And then he got a philosophy degree and he couldn't do anything with that. So he kind of just wound up here because somebody in his family was like, you need to make money. It sounded like he had generational wealth. And so he was definitely a work to live. He was a work to live person. And even though she betrayed him, he, if he was just there for the paycheck, she didn't get him fired. She just got him transferred. So he was, he was collecting that paycheck from somewhere else. So she didn't fuck him over that much given his character motivations. If it were me, I would have, oh my God, it would have been a whole different book if Franzi had me transferred. I would have literally like, it would have been a revenge story. Oh, same. I, like, if someone ever did that to me, I would hate them, right. never speak to them again, and try and exact my revenge. Absolutely. It would be a very different second half of the book. But given who Adam was, I guess I can kind of see, and, and that he was young, that this didn't feel insurmountable for them. I got to tell you, <laughs> you're really, like, giving me something to think about with Franzi's character because I did not reread this book. I read it more recently than you did so I so that I wouldn't have to reread it. The more I'm thinking about her, like I think I'm just always on the side of the main character like as I read a book. Oh, I was absolutely on her side <laughs> relative to everyone else she was up against in this book. And I think it's, you know, I don't want to make it seem like I only like to read books where the main character is like me. But I mean, we've read a lot of books with really unlikable main characters, and I wouldn't say this is one of them. Like, like what was that book we read with the three women living in New York? How could she? How could she? I loved that book. I did too, but the I didn't like any of the characters. I did like some of the characters. I did like that book a lot, but a lot of people hated that book. <laughs> It's really funny. I don't know if this is – I think this is an overgeneralization, but it was one of my favorite books. And before we picked it for a book club pick, I passed it off on some of my friends who all live in New York City and have a similar life experience as me. And they all loved it too. And then we got so much negative feedback on that book pick. So I think – I don't know. It was just interesting to see the lines of like, I loved it. A lot of people in my life loved it, but then obviously a lot of people didn't like it. Neither is right or wrong, but just. No, I think a lot of people, and I'm not saying this is right or wrong either, need to like the main characters in order to like a book. Whereas I can kind of hate the main characters and still really enjoy a book. Yeah, but that wasn't this type of book. Like this was, you know, any Manny Dawson book is like a heartwarming, you're rooting for the protagonist type book. And I was rooting for Franzi. She just isn't somebody that I would want to rip off the page and be best friends with. And I get this question all the time whenever I do an Instagram Q&A where it's like, what book character would you want to be best friends with? And I don't have a good answer. I'm sure there's definitely characters that I've read about over time that I'm like, oh my God, she sounds so cool. I want to be her best friend. But you know, usually I feel more neutral. In this case, I feel slightly negative, but it didn't affect that I me rooting for her. Yeah. The only book I can think of where I really like 
felt like I'd want to be friends with the, the main character. We've talked about this before is um, the woman in party of two. The, she, she's a lawyer. She, I, I think she was way too, she was way too important and cool to be friends with us. Yeah, probably. I mean, that's, I that's also a more realistic about, take. I'd want to be her friend. Absolutely. I also think that about Celine and the idea of you where she owns a gallery and I'm like, she's a mom. She has no time for me. She has a super cool gallery. She's way chicer and cooler than I am. Like, she doesn't want to be my friend. She has Luli. She she already has yes, cool friends. That's true. So I think about that all the time of like, there are certain book characters and like, they wouldn't want to be friends with me. That's true. Um, that's very self-aware. They probably wouldn't want to be our friends. At the same time, Poppy from people we meet on vacation is another character that I would not be friends with in real life. She would overwhelm me and I would be like huge eye roll. She was like such a weirdo ball of energy and was like marching to the beat of her own drum, which I totally respect. But like, she does not feel like somebody I would get along with in real life. Yeah. She'd exhaust me. I'd be like, you're too, you have too much energy. You're, you're doing too many things. I can't be around you. Yeah. But it didn't, you know, it didn't affect me rooting for her, the book, in the same mm. way that Franzi is a little too cheesy for me in real life. But I understood her stakes. I understood. I think it's about partially it's about understanding the emotional backstory of like why she is the way that she is. Yes. You know, and part of this was being the daughter of Tanaj and Maggie informed her personality where she was like a little bit neurotic and nervous because of Maggie. And then she was like a little bit of this like free spirit, hippy dippy type because of Tanaj. And so it totally tracked for me. Yeah. I, I liked the book. I rooted for her the whole time. I think we both agree on that. I just didn't really think of her as cheesy. And I think I probably would have if I had reread the book like you did. Um, I just didn't catch that the first time around. And now I'm like, you're totally right. Like, I probably wouldn't want to be her friend. Wait, I'm so mad at you right now because you read it out. We we If we don't have time and we're cutting a question for time in the outline, we put it read. And you put in here originally who would play these characters in like a TV or movie. And I actually did research I like, I'm really bad at this off the cuff. So I actually did research and now I want to hear yours. So I don't have any. I, oh, you don't have any. That's why I didn't. Oh, yeah. Do you have any thoughts on specifically Franzi? I only cast some of these accurately. So I would think Franzi, the problem of this is, is like, I don't really know any current movie stars. (laughs) So I would, can we make this like 10 years ago and have her be Kate Hudson? Oh, I was actually thinking my person I was thinking of her that doesn't fit age-wise was Drew Barrymore. I was yes. picturing her as like young Drew Barrymore. So it's the, definitely young. Like if this could be 10 years ago, Kate or Drew, either one of them. Yeah. In the present day, the best I could come up with was I feel like Zasha Meme could do a good job playing her. Um, she was Shoshana in Girls. And she's done a couple indies since she's been on Girls, that I feel like she could definitely play this character, like a little bit of an oddball. And then the other person is Molly Bernard, who was Lauren on Younger, I feel like could also play this character. Oh, yeah, maybe. I feel like both of them are maybe slightly too neurotic and like missing that free-spirited side, but I feel like they could get there. Yeah, I think they're both very neurotic and like, but not like, yeah, the free-spirited side is harder. Yeah. Drew Barrymore really would be perfect if it was. Drew Barrymore would be perfect. Yeah. The other one that I felt really strongly. So I had a couple. (laughs) I didn't have Adam or Judd. I'm just going to tell you mine because I put effort into this. I'm so sorry. I put this in the outline and then I (laughs) 
very much forgot about the question slash I like I've been watching a lot of old, old movies and or I like know about like 90s stuff. But like the kids these days, I don't know who they are. Well, I feel I feel like I take this seriously because this is something that I do in my work casting. So I don't want to just throw out answers into the wind. Like it's harder to be off the cuff about it. And then I also I don't often picture actors or actresses while I'm reading a book. So I have to like think about it. But wait, so Maggie, I feel like would be Marsha Gay Harden, like Marsha Gay Harden in a headband and like a sweater set. Yeah. Or what about Marsha Cross from Desperate Housewives? Okay. Yeah. I can see both of those. And then I feel like Tanaj has to be, I mean, she couldn't be, if I were actually casting this, I would be, I would make this a hard no. Could maybe be Drew Barrymore. She's old enough now. It could be Drew Barrymore. I don't think she's quite old enough. Not quite. It's it's um, Phoebe from Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce, who also played um, the hippie mom in Firefly Lane. Like, she is this oh, character. yeah. Or what about but she's... You just said Phoebe. What about Lisa Kudrow? It could be. Yeah, it could be Lisa Kudrow. Yeah. But I feel like Phoebe... I don't know the actress's name. I think it's... Um, Oh, I just looked this up, but I don't remember her name. But um, I feel like she's played this character too many times that I would be annoyed that it would feel unoriginal to have her play this character. Yeah, that makes sense. And then the father, for some reason, I'm picturing as Jeff Bridges. Yes. Slightly. Jeff Bridges like five years ago. Yeah. We just need to take like a little – we need to go back to like 2015, maybe 2010. Yeah. Yeah. And then I couldn't figure out either of the guys because – I feel like Judd couldn't be a heartthrob knockout because then you would be like instinctually rooting for him on a biased level. And then Adam, I I just couldn't figure out who was like a young surfer who would like have this energy like hair wise. I'm like, oh, Lucas Gage from The White Lotus has like this surfer vibe. But I'm like, I don't see him as this character. I think Again, because I just know everyone who's older, um, way too old, but Owen Wilson. I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say Owen Wilson. Like just the hair, the the face, like he's kind of like a little, he could be like, a, he could play that like kind of too hyper. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Too no, chipper it is. Character. It's like who's, who's a present day Owen Wilson? I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. And then maybe um, since we're casting this that way, maybe Judd is Vince Vaughn. <laughs> No, no, he's not Vince Vaughn. Because Vince Vaughn is kind of like, oh, this sounds really bad, but he's a little doughy. Like, um, Judd owns a gym. He's like, he's definitely a hard body. Oh, you're right. I forgot about the gym. But I don't think he's like, he's not Brad Pitt. Like, he's not leading man handsome. Like, I think he needs to be like a little bit nerdy or like a little bit weird looking in an Adrian Brody way where he's still attractive, but he's not like a heartthrob. Yes. He needs to be like... But it wouldn't be Adrian Brody because Adrian Brody is not a gym owner. We need someone who could own a gym, but also like be kind of nerdy. Yeah. I don't know who that would be. Yeah. I... Well, I'm glad I got some of these out because I really thought about this. And But I'm curious who people would cast as Adam and Judd because those are the two that I can't picture in my head and now it's going to bug me. Yeah. And I'm not accepting Owen Wilson 20 years ago is the answer. I need a contemporary person. They're going to say contemporary people and I'll be like having to Google them all because I won't know who they are. 
Um, <laughs> shall we get out of our book and get into some matter? matter? Yes. Okay. Oh, also, I just want to say, if you read this book and you haven't read Matchmaking for Beginners, Matchmaking for Beginners, it's just all of Maddie Dawson's books have like kind of a Gilmore Girls vibe to me and that they... Don't say that. I hate Gilmore Girls. Oh, I love it. Like they have a lot of quirky characters and they give me warm fuzzies. And Matchmaking for Beginners is just one of my favorite books. It's one of my favorite books too, but I don't, I did not like Gilmore Girls. It was slow and annoying and oh, not for me. Agree to disagree. I think I'm, I think I'm gearing up for a rewatch of Gilmore Girls once it gets into like, (laughs) we've been compared. I've seen in our reviews, like, I mean, and it's obviously a hugely complimentary thing to compare us to a TV show like that. But whenever they compare us to Gilmore Girls, I'm like, no. <laughs> Only because I just didn't like the show. My mom and my sisters all watched it and I would like go read a book and hide when they were watching it. Hmm. All right. Into End Matter. Um, yes. I see we both have Instagram obsessions, which we did not have this morning. So I'm curious who's yours is. So mine is Margaret Wright, and it's just Margaret.Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T. And she is an interiors photographer, and I just think her work is beautiful. And she also showcases some, like, pretty incredible homes. So I chose her. I mean, also, I met her. We spoke on a panel together a couple weeks ago. And she's going to shoot my home because I, fingers crossed, have a really cool publication that's going to feature my apartment. But I just like her work and it's full of like good interior inspiration. Oh, cool. I'll have to check her out. Um, Mine is a woman named Ashley Nicole Black and her Instagram handle is AshNB1. And I uh, have been listening to this podcast called Script Notes, which is a podcast about screenwriting. And she was a guest on it. And she is a writer on season two of Ted Lasso. And she's also a writer on, I think, both Amber Ruffian and Black Lady Sketch Show. And first of all, I think she's just really, really cool. But then I've also really enjoyed following her. So when we're recording this, the Emmys was just on Sunday. And like getting the behind the scenes of the Ted Lasso writer's room and like the process of... The be- just the behind the scenes of like them being friends with each other because a lot of the writers are also cast on the show like really warms my heart. She just seems really cool. Oh, fun. I'll have to look her up. I don't have a regular obsession though. Do you? I do. Um, I wrote about this on my blog, but I have been working my – and I've been talking about it a lot on Instagram. I've been working my way through the AFI 100 list, which is the American Film Institute's list of like the best 100 films over the past 100 years. And I just – I'm enjoying it a lot because – I love old movies, but I never know what to watch. So like if Netflix suggests one, I always will watch it. And, you know, every Christmas morning, my family and I would watch It's a Wonderful Life. And then I've always loved musicals like High Society is one of my favorites. But I feel like I'm just like getting so much kind of inspiration for what to watch, kind of learning a lot at the same time, because I also, this is so nerdy, started listening to this podcast called Unspooled, where they break down every one of the movies on the list. So that's been interesting to like watch the movie. And then the next day I'll be doing chores or like going for a walk or doing something. And I'll listen to their 
synopsis and thoughts on it. Oh, that's fun. So that's been like my fun little nerdy activity. You know, I like a rabbit hole. So I go like, it's not, I wouldn't call this a hobby, but it's my latest rabbit hole. Like just listening, watching the movie, then listening to the podcast and then (laughs) doing it all over again. But how many have you watched out of the hundred? So not very many. When I, so you can take on their website, you can take the quiz to see how many. I'd only watched 23 when... I think that's pretty good. I feel like I would have seen far fewer. I thought that was, like, fine. I'm up to 30 now. Okay. Yeah. And I'm going to do, like, on my vlog, like, little um, check-ins every month until I get to the until I get to the end of the list. Ooh, are you going to end up with a lot at the end that you're not going to like, though? So I'm trying to not only watch ones I'm really excited about so that doesn't happen. Okay. <laughs> like, I watched All About Eve, which I was super excited about, and now I'm going to have to watch one that I'm less excited about. Yeah, because I feel like I would just end up with – well, I wouldn't do it because I'm a baby, but I feel like I would just end up with all the scary ones at the end, and I wouldn't finish. What I'm more concerned about, because I love a scary one, is like westerns or like Mm, (laughs) – I don't know. I wouldn't be into that either really dry ones that would like all male casts. I can't mm-hmm. think of like what that would be. Like 12 angry men and you're like, <laughs> I don't want to watch this. Yes, exactly. Like I've actually never seen The Godfather and don't really care to see it, but I'm going to have to watch it at some point. Yeah. So it's a fun activity. I highly recommend it. I think, I don't know, I've been exhausted and have been going out less. So this has been like most of my nights and it's been yeah. pretty great. The other thing is, is like, these are the top films in history, so there's not going to be that many, like, ones that are bad. Like, even if it's maybe not enjoyable, I feel like I'll at least learn something. Yeah, it's a well-structured movie. It just might not be your taste. Yeah. Like, one of my blog readers was like, you should do – you should rate them all like you do with books. I'm like, you know, these are all, like, the the best films in history, so my rating wouldn't make sense for that. Right. Right. I think we leave that to Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't have an obsession, but I have been doing some reading. So it's really funny because I was in Palm Beach for the same amount of time that I was in Mexico. And when I was in Mexico, I read four books, ran out of books. And like I did so much reading in Mexico. And this was a very different type of vacation, mostly because we were just gossiping. It wasn't even like we were doing activities or it was the same kind of pool vacation. I just wasn't reading. Yeah. And then at night, you know, there was more of a nightlife scene. So we were like going out to a bar after dinner instead of just coming home and reading 200 pages. Anyway, I only read one book on vacation. I finished The Identicals by Ellen Hildebrand, um, which I really enjoyed. And it's about uh, two identical twin sisters who are about 40 and one lives on Nantucket and one lives on Martha's Vineyard. And they've had a falling out and the death of their father brings them back together. Really liked it. I read that one a while ago. I think when it came out, I liked it a lot. Yeah. It took a little bit to get going in terms of like, what is the story here? But I feel like Ellen and I have developed enough trust that I was like, I know this will be good. And I always really enjoy her writing style. So totally enjoyed that. And then I started The Perfect Find by Tia Williams. And she is the author who wrote Seven Days in June. And this is a book that she wrote in like 2012, I think. And I don't know if it just sold out or if it was out of print, but they just re-released it in paperback mid-September. So I pre-ordered it and it came and I started it. It's not what I expected. So it's about this woman who is a editor at a fashion like media company, like a website. 
So she used to be a publisher and work in like traditional magazine publishing, which it kind of deals with like the industry is dying. And she's gone over to a like a digital platform where she's a little bit of a fish out of water, but she's also there because like she has the cred even because she's old. And so not old, but she's 40 and all the other girls are like 22. So it's about that. And then she starts a, before she knows who he is, she starts a romantic entanglement with a guy who she's going to work with who's much younger. So it's very steamy. It's very good so far. I'm I'm probably about 60% through. I'm enjoying it a lot. It is slightly dated, if only because it deals with fashion and media, which I feel like is something that like very rapidly changes. And it's like a 2012 view on that. But it's not so dated that it's making me not enjoy it. There's just certain things that she talks about wearing or as being cool or references within media that I'm like, "Mm, not quite. But it all makes sense. Like it's written. She's very, very obviously in the know. Like the author is very obviously in the know. So for the time, it, it all makes sense. And yeah, I would say if you liked the idea of you because of the older woman, younger man dynamic, then like this book is very definitely for you. Nice. What have you been reading? Well, the first book that I read, you're not going to like. Okay. It's so scary. So, oh no, I'm out. So this is White Smoke by Tiffany D. Jackson. And you and I have both read a few. You, I've read all her books. I think you've read a couple of them. I think I only read Grown. You read Grown. I've literally read them all. I had been looking to find more thriller books written by women of color, and her books came highly recommended, and she's since become one of my favorite authors. But this was her first foray into writing horror, and it is fucking scary. Oh. Yes. So it's got some of those similar, like, get out vibes, like kind of, it went in a direction where it felt a little bit like if you like Ace of Spades, you'll love this book, but it's scarier. Okay. Okay. Not for me. Not for you. I loved it. Okay. The second book that I read was Apples Never Fall by Leanne Moriarty. And so I'll tell you, I was reading some other books and I had pre-ordered this one and White Smoke, and they both came on the same day. And I was like, this is the best day ever. So Apples Never Fall is Leanne Moriarty's new book. And I, she was always one of my favorite authors. Like I loved The Husband's Secret. I loved What Alice Forgot. Of course, I loved Big Little Lies. Then she did Nine Perfect Strangers. And just a caveat, I got so many DMs of people like defending Nine Perfect Strangers who had never even read the book. They just watched the show. And I'm like, dude, you got to read the book like before you come at me because the show is great. The book was shit. It was one of the worst books I read back in 2018. And I just felt like it didn't make a lot of sense. The characters were all over the place. It dragged. It was slow. As a TV show, it's great. I, I really liked the show. But I wasn't so sure about her anymore. I was like, can I trust her? Like, should I keep pre-ordering her books? And this redeemed her. It wasn't as good as the other books I listed, but I'd say it was a strong like B plus, A minus. And what's the premise? Is it also like a domestic thriller or? Sort of. So it's about this older couple and their four kids. And one day the wife just goes missing. And secrets start coming out about the family. Like the father had some secrets. Each of the kids have some secrets. It's, I think that one of her strengths is the way that she writes about families and, and like family dynamics and like what could drive someone to go like kill their partner. And 
Maybe that's why Nine Perfect Strangers was so bad because she did this. Nine Perfect Strangers had nothing to do about a family. It was literally about nine strangers. So I really liked this. I'm not going to compare it to like the other books because they were they were better. But this was this redeemed her in my in my eyes. I think you would like it, actually. Okay. And then I was having a really bad day yesterday and I opened up my mail and this like completely made my day. I got the new Colleen Hoover, which is called Reminders of Him. I got it as well. And I was very excited to see it. Yes. So I don't think I ever gave them my address, so I don't even know how I got it, but I was so happy. And I'm about 30% through with it. Like I, I read a bunch of it last night and then I um, took a little break today and read some, but it's... Uh, oh, you don't waste any time. I, did, I don't. When it's Colleen Hoover, I definitely don't waste time. So this is about a woman who's just gotten out of jail and she moves back. So the reason she was in jail was I think that maybe she... I think she, she, we don't completely know yet, but I have a feeling she was drunk and got into a car accident and her boyfriend was killed. And so she has all of this guilt and she has a daughter through him and the daughter has been taken away because she was in jail and he moves back to his town, the town he grew up in, like in an attempt to like get to know her daughter after being estranged from her. And there's like a little love story and we're kind of seeing where that's going. So I think... I've read that this one's like really heartbreaking. So if you can't handle sad, like I don't want to take a, don't read it when you're sad, but it's not coming out till January. So we have a little time. Okay. Well, in the meantime, I think it's time to announce our October book club pick, which I'm super excited about. We are going to read A Special Place for Women by Laura Hankin. Yes. And it is not a new book. It came out in May and I cannot give you any spoilers but you'll, you'll see why we picked it now. Yes. So the, the basic premise of the book is a uh, woman who's in her, ooh, I don't know if she's in her 20s or 30s, but it's pre- set present day. She's a reporter and she goes undercover to infiltrate this private women's club that is similar to The Wing. And she finds out there's more going on there that meets the eye. Um, So if you like startup culture or New York City things or kind of ripped from the headlines things, I think you'll really, really like this. There is a little bit of a romance plot line in there, too. There's like a little bit of a mystery. So like I think it really checks a lot of boxes. I love this book. And there's such a fun, wild twist. I think you guys are going to love it, too. I can't wait to talk about this. There is a wild (laughs) twist about 60% of the way through the book. So I think like just going and knowing that was kind of fun. I I knew that when I started reading it too. And I was like, what's the twist? And I was trying to guess the whole time. And I was not right. Yeah. And we, we've been holding on to this book, like since it, <laughs> since it first came out, we're like, this is going to be our October book club pick next year. So we've been waiting for this one. <laughs> yes. And in the meantime, I would love to hear your thoughts about this month's book club pick in the Facebook group. So head on over there and find the thread from today's episode. I also want to hear who you're casting in this. If anyone knows who the present day Owen Wilson is, let us know. Um, you can also follow us on Instagram at Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm on Instagram at Grace Atwood. My blog is thestripe.com. I post there mostly every day. And I'm on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman. And I also co-created, wrote, produced and directed a 
fiction podcast series called Rom-Com Pods. Our most recent is called Showmance, and we're trying to make it into a TV show. So if you want to buy it, let me know. And if not, just listen to it. It'll help our numbers. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye, guys. Bye.